Oh, good morning, everybody. It was an epic week. I'm telling you, Vacation Bible School was just about a week ago, and we had sincerely the best time. We had over 200 kids. I think I'm going to move this way just a little bit. We had over 200 kids, over 100 volunteers, and, and I have to tell you, some of my favorite moments you didn't actually get to see. So, we would get everybody in here at the beginning, at the end of every day, and then we would ask kids, does anybody want to pray? Now, if you work with kids, you understand, but I asked this every morning and every day, and like 100 hands raised, right? So we would pull kids up on stage, and sometimes three, four, five, maybe 10 kids by the end of the day, and they would get up here with the mic and be prayer warriors. Man, the things these kids prayed for. Now, when you're six and you stand in a room of 300 people and you can pray, it is a mighty thing. And so it was just awesome. Our theme was shipwrecked because we wanted kids to understand it didn't matter whether they were lonely, whether they were worried, whether they had done wrong, whether they were struggling, or whether they just felt powerless, Jesus rescued it was amazing. So thank you guys for all your part and everything. And, and I feel like I could just stop my message right now because it was so good. But I have to tell you, so in the middle of Vacation Bible School, I found out something. So up until then, this weekend was supposed to be Ron's 25th anniversary. Okay? And it said in the bulletin that I was supposed to preach this weekend. But guess what? I never planned on it. <laughs> Because we were supposed to be having a party for him. Well, then his timeline got moved up. Things happened, and I found out in the middle of VBS, guess what, Marie? You get to preach. And I was like, yay, I'm so excited because I just love the honor to share with you my heart. And so I was like, okay, well, what am I going to share with you? This is my chance. What am I going to talk to you about? What's on my heart for you as our family to know? And, and I wanted to share something that was bigger and that was greater, something that could change a city, something that could change a generation, something that could change our community. And I wanted to share about the impact you all can have on our kids and our teens. And so I am the children's pastor. I love stories. I am such a fan of the Bible and all of the stories because I think it is God's word, and it teaches us how to live our life. And it may have happened thousands of years ago, and it is just as applicable today. And so I wanted to share with you the story of Nehemiah, found in the Old Testament. And um, I'll just give you a quick overview. The people of God in Jerusalem weren't doing what they should have been doing. They just stopped worshiping the way they should have. They married people they shouldn't have. They didn't do what needed to happen. And so God allowed them to be exiled out of the country. The temple was destroyed and they were taken over by another kingdom. That kingdom got taken by another kingdom, got taken by the Persian emperor. Okay? And so then the people of Israel went to Cyrus, who was the Persian king at that time, and said, we'd like to go back and build the temple. Can we do that? And so he, he felt like that was good. He let them gather, and about 50,000 people went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But the people who were living there, who were not God's people, they weren't excited anymore about God's people coming back. In fact, they really didn't want them to come back. And so they gave them a very hard time. 20 years, this is significant later, 20 years it took to rebuild the temple. And then I think people just kind of 
have to stop paying attention to God again. And things got bad, and the people from the outside were attacking, and things were just declining. And this is the point of our story when Nehemiah steps in. Now, Nehemiah was in Persia at the time. Here's a report about how bad it is in Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you more of the story as we go on. He goes back to Jerusalem. He gathers the people, and they build the wall. It's a great story. If you ever get a chance, read Nehemiah and Ezra. They're connected, Ezra first, and then Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It is fascinating, but I'm going to tell you some more. I've been thinking about Nehemiah a lot lately because Nehemiah was somebody who saw something and wanted to make a change. He knew that this wasn't what God had promised. In fact, the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem at that time, they were facing a city in ruin. They were facing a community that was struggling. Really, they were facing a crisis of faith and an unpredictable future. And so the people in 5th century Jerusalem, two things were true. First thing could have been true. It was so bad for so long there that they didn't even know that it was bad anymore. It just was the way it was. Or it had been so bad for so long that they couldn't imagine a different way for it to be. They stopped dreaming. They thought it was impossible to fix, and they weren't going to do anything else about it. And here comes Nehemiah. And and what we learn through Nehemiah about this rebuilding and the restoration of Jerusalem and its walls teaches us a couple things. The first thing it teaches us is we can do more together. When we come together, we can do more. But more than that, and I think this is really important to hear, when we do more together, it has the potential to affect how a generation sees God. I want you to imagine a 13-year-old back in 5th century Jerusalem, and he's like sitting on the broken wall, okay? So because the wall is down that protected the city, it's in rubble. In fact, the scripture says they were joking that if a fox ran on it, the whole wall was going to fall down, okay? So there's this 13-year-old, because 13-year-olds are sassy, right? Any of you who have teenagers, right? We, We know they're sassy. So he's sitting on the wall, and he's maybe chucking up a rock from the wall, right? This is just my imagination. And he says, wow, you know, Joshua blew a horn and Jericho fell down the wall. And Moses just had a stick, and the Red Sea moved. And imagine he's throwing up this rock. And David threw a rock and killed Goliath. What is wrong with us, people? What is happening here? Where is this God who is so powerful? Why is it like this? Why can't we do something about it? Why can't we just stop talking and make a difference? And and you have to imagine That's what Nehemiah heard. That's what Nehemiah felt. That's what Nehemiah saw. You see, I think Nehemiah is super important because we have a generation of youth and kids who are getting skeptical about the church. They hear us saying how good God is. They hear us telling everybody what we don't like, what we don't want to see happen, but they don't always see us doing a lot or saying what we do believe in. See, because Nehemiah, he was a doer. He did something about what happened. So I think the first lesson we can learn from Nehemiah is that we need to name what is broken. It's 
It's pretty simple. Nehemiah heard it. Report came to him. He was in the Persian king's empire, and he heard this report, and here's what it said. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When Nehemiah heard this, he mourned, and he wept, and he prayed, and he sat in that knowledge for several days. And then he moved into action. It's more than we need to name it. We can't fix it if we don't name it. Nehemiah knew what was going on. He could name it. The wall was down. People were disillusioned. And God's people, this wasn't what was promised to them. And there needed to be something done. Now, recently, I had a friend. Her name was Sharon. Some of you got to meet her at VBS. She came and stayed with us. She was my best friend when we were in kindergarten. We were in church together, and she was here for three weeks. It was awesome to have her. And anytime you have a visitor, right, you see things in a new perspective. And so we're driving around the coast, kind of over by uh, Sandy's. And she goes, oh, Marie, this is just paradise here. And I was like, yeah, we live in a really beautiful place. God did good work here. He did really good work here. But guess what? We still have problems here. We have problems in our state. We have problems in our city. We have problems in Kaimaki. And we even have problems here at the church. And, and we need to name them. So recently at Vacation Bible School, we really see that as a community event. And we try to bring in as many community kids as we can. And I wish I could say to you that everybody came was from two parents who loved them, who worked hard for them, who had enough to eat, who cared about where they were, who had jobs to eat, but honestly, jobs so they could eat. But honestly, that was more the exception than the rule. We had kids at VBS who came from generational poverty. We had kids at VBS, VBS who came from generational addiction. We had kids at VBS whose moms and dads weren't living with them at all. We had kids whose one parent wasn't present. We had kids whose parents were deployed. We had kids whose dads wasn't in their life. And worst case, we had kids whose dads hurt them. And we knew that. And that was just the surface in one week, what we learned. Then there's our island. I learned something new this week. I was doing some research. Do you know that on any given day in the state of Hawaii, there are six to seven thousand, six to seven thousand homeless people? Now, there could be 12 over the course of maybe a whole year, right? But any given day, six to seven thousand homeless people. Do you know what the average age of our homeless population here is in the state of Hawaii? 55? 35? 25, 15, 5, 5, the average age. I want you to hear that. 5 is the average age in our island, in our place, 5. We have the highest rate of homelessness among children in the country. That's our island. Let's talk about KCC. I'm going to get super vulnerable right now. I'm going to risk, and I'm going to tell you guys some truth, okay? 
Friday, I went on the vine. You all know how to get on the vine. It's a great tool. Got on the vine. We have, as of Friday, 110 youth, that's sixth grade to high school, that we consider our people, right? They come. We, we probably have 30 to 40 who show up on a Sunday, but we have 110 that we consider ours. Out of that, I, I want you to hear this number, we have eight volunteers. Eight. Eight consistent volunteers. Cakey Ministry, in the last six weeks, we have had 262 children who we consider our babies. That's birth and through fifth grade. Okay, that's not VBS. I didn't count VBS. 262. We have about 120 every weekend because not everybody comes all the time, right? This weekend, Friday night, this service and next service, we have 12 volunteers. 12. Now we have 30 over the course of a month, but we have 12 this weekend. You guys, we need to wake up. We need to hear what's going on. It's so easy to get comfortable. And I have to say, we in Keiki ministry and our youth ministry, we do a really good job of keeping your kids well cared for and hearing the faith. But it is not enough for us to stand up in front of this crowd. I can do it with you guys, just one me. I can't do it with kids. I just can't. See, Nehemiah didn't ignore the problem. He moved quickly because of the potential threat to the physical and spiritual future of his people. Here's what Nehemiah did. He heard about it. He prayed about it. He realized he needed to do something. And then he made this super simple statement. He said what he was not. If you go to Nehemiah, it says, I was a cupbearer of the king. First thing he tells us is, I'm not a priest. I'm not a pastor. I, I, I'm like the guy, the executive assistant to the Persian king. Now, this Persian king was the most powerful man who had ever existed in the universe up until that point. The largest kingdom ever, the most powerful Artaxerxes is his name at that point. Most powerful. And Nehemiah was his person. He was his, like, one who made his schedule. He was the one who made sure he got places on time. He lived in the lap of luxury. Oh, and then here's a really fun job for all of us who are executive assistants. Then he had to taste the food that everything the king put in his mouth to make sure it wasn't poisoned. How would you like that on a job description? <laughs> and, and so this is his job. And so he tells, very first thing is, I was just a cupbearer for the king. But what it teaches us is that our responsibility has nothing to do with our profession. It doesn't matter what you do. We still have a responsibility to our teens and to our youth. We are responsible in a broken world, not because of our job description, but because we are God's people. So I'm going to stand up super tall because I'm going to claim this next statement. We are the church. We are ambassadors of the son of the living God, and we represent the one who gave life to all humanity. We are the best chance that this world has to see who Jesus is. So we are called to do what he did. We are called to point people to Jesus. We are called to love people, to walk alongside of them, to help when people are hurt, and to bring the children to him.
that's who we are. We are the church. Not because we're good people, and I know almost everyone in here, I know you guys are good, but because we are God's people. That's who we are. So I look out in this room right now, and I see so many of you, and I think, oh, they're a teacher, but they help out loving our babies. Oh, man, they're a lawyer, but I saw them in preschool last week. And I'm not pointing directly, just so you know. Don't be like calling out Paul over there, okay? I'm just generally here. I see these people in the room, though. Uh, I'm a construction worker, but man, I hang out with our youth. I'm one of those eight. I'm a CEO, but I mentor a kid every Wednesday afternoon in Palolo because that's our high-risk school, and we want to make a difference there. Our church, we have people who get it and who do give their time and energy for our kids, but we need more. It's not enough. See, when Nehemiah found out what was wrong, he leveraged who he was, and he risked everything. He was living a pretty cushy life. Imagine, in the palace of the most powerful man who ever existed, he tasted all the food, he hung out with him, he probably had a very nice feather bed, this was great, and he was going to go to a city in ruin, and he was going to risk it. So he went to the king, and he said, um, sir, I need to do this, and by the way, can you pay for it? And guess what God did? He worked in the heart of this king, and he gave it to him, and he let him go. And so Nehemiah got on a donkey, and the Bible says this, I love this, because he was a pretty powerful person now to get on a donkey, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he goes into the city and just hangs out for a few days. And then he gets on the donkey, and one night at dark, he travels the entire perimeter of the city because he wants to know what's going on. Because he realizes that proximity always changes our perspective. When we know something up close, it changes how we feel. Now, some of you may be saying to me, okay, Marie, great, you're up here. But you know what? My kids are grown. I'm done. My grandkids don't live here. I'm done. I'm really busy. I have a super busy job. Okay. But let me introduce you to some of our kids, and I think you'll feel differently. Because when we know them, we want to make a difference for them. I'm going to tell you about my little angel. So I'm not going to use her real name because uh, she might show up, my little angel. She's four. She came to Vacation Bible School. We really didn't know her beforehand. In the very first meeting, during the very first day, she sat up right here where Pastor Nofo's at. And in a room for 300 people, I could hear her laugh. She had the biggest laugh you have ever heard. And then throughout the course of the day, we found out that everything was full throttle for this little angel. In fact, we started to call her our little drama princess on Monday because she loved harder, hugged bigger, sobbed and melted down better than anybody else. I mean, she took over a room. And when you've got this many personalities and you're four and you can take over a room, heaven help us, okay? And so second day, we learned when you worry... Jesus rescues. And we're in Kidvid, and their leaders are sitting down in a little circle, and we began to pray with the kids about worry. Now, Miss Sandra, Sandra Tanji, was this cruise leader, and this little angel said to her during prayer time, I worry about my mama. And we said, why, Sandra said, because my mommy, she's really far away, and it's dangerous. So Sandra comes and tells me, and I go look up and find, guess what? Mom's deployed to Afghanistan right now. 
And dad is here with an eight-year-old, a four-year-old who is Miss Drama Queen, and a two-year-old baby. Do you think we love this little girl crazy all week long? Yes. And when she melted down, we helped her. And when she was needing more hugs, we gave her bigger hugs because we could do something up close and personal for her. Now I have to tell you my favorite part. So this father-son camp is happening, right? So at the end of the week, the dad said, gosh, I really would like to go. My eight-year-old, he doesn't get that much attention. Because if you're a single dad and you have a four-year-old who's drama princess and you have a two-year-old, your eight-year-old gets nothing. And someone said, I tell you what, we'll watch your kids for you so you can go. And so guess what? Dad's going to be there next week. It's awesome when we get up close and personal. Imagine if everyone in this room, if we did that, if we got close enough to see what's going on, what happens if we walked alongside a family who was struggling? Just maybe helping out with childcare every once in a while. What happens if enough of us became small group leaders for our kids and we could be in groups of seven or eight and so you knew their heart and were able to pray for them? Imagine what would happen if enough people helped out with our teens. And so it wasn't eight to a hundred, but eight to eight. Can you imagine what could happen? Okay, I'm going to make a really strong statement. This is me, Marie, saying this. I don't think we should ever measure this church's success on how many of you show up in church. I think we should measure the success of our church on how many of you show up in the lives of other people. Let's show up for each other. Because I can guarantee the one way we can do it, the one way we can make a big impact is to give every kid and teen an adult who will show them who Jesus is. This community is full of so many kids and teens and families who need us. And we are the church. And we have been given the greatest gift of love ever, ever, so we can give it out. Now, I have one more story to tell you. I only had two that are particular. And this one is from a church I was at before. Um, because if I use too many from here, you all know them. And then it just gets complicated. So um, we had a little girl. Her name was Precious. She was Precious. That was her real name. I'm just not making that one up. And Precious showed up one Sunday and checked herself into Sunday school. And we were like, hey, Precious. And we got to know her. And it came time for goldfish. And she was super excited about it. And then church finished. And nobody came and picked her up. And we waited and we waited and we waited. And Precious, do you know your phone number? Nope. Don't know my number. What are we going to do? So we broke a rule, Jerry. Appreciate Jerry so much for his ministry. I would go crazy without Jerry. So love Jerry. Keeps us in line. And um, so we took her home. Couldn't get a hold of mom and dad. We didn't know what else to do. So we took her home. I couldn't do it that day. So one of our aunties, her name was Meredith, just retired from being a teacher, said, I will take her home. So Meredith takes her home, drops her off in front of an apartment building, tries to knock on the door, and Precious just runs in. Okay, fine. Next week, Precious comes back by herself again. Don't know what to do. Notice she really likes the goldfish. So Meredith said to Judy, who was checking in people at the front counter, I feel like we should feed her. 
let's go see what's in the fridge. So Judy went, found some food, we fed her, took her home again. And this went on week after week after week, except Judy started bringing her full-on lunches. And pretty soon, Meredith had all eight siblings with her every Sunday, had to borrow a second car so we could get them all home. See, Precious had a family of eight in a one-bedroom apartment, and she was literally hungry. And all Meredith did was drive her home, and all Judy did was bring her a lunch every day. And it was fascinating because I remember one day Judy goes, they don't know what carrots are, Marie. I said, what do you mean they don't know what carrots are? They had never had a carrot before because they had never had fresh vegetables before. Judy came recently on vacation with her husband here to Hawaii, and we hung out at Waimanalo for the day. She said, guess what we just did, Marie? I said, what, Judy? She said, Meredith and I went to Precious's graduation from beauty school. She is able to support herself now. She comes to church on a regular basis, all because someone would drive her home and make a lunch for her. It's amazing what we can do when we come together. And there is just no substitute for adult presence in the lives of our kids. So the story of Nehemiah, I want to get back to that. I'm going to continue on. Nehemiah expected everyone in Jerusalem to help with the project to rebuild the wall. Now, not a lot of people, in fact, pretty much nobody knew how to do that. Didn't matter. The expectation was, you help. So Nehemiah, that night, on the donkey, rode around the city. Then he called everybody together, and he gave this super, super small speech. You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem is in ruin, and the gates have been burned down with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And because God was with him, here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 2. Okay, let's start rebuilding. And they did it. I like that plan. Here's the thing. Okay, let's do it. And so chapter 3 of Nehemiah tells us super interesting. It was perfume makers. It was priests. It was politicians. It was, uh, well, a cupbearer for the king. But nowhere in the third chapter does it say that there was a construction expert and they began to build. I love Nehemiah for this. I love this story because people didn't pray about whether they should do it or not. They prayed while they were doing it. And, and they didn't figure out, I don't know how to do this. They learned how to do it while they were doing it. Why? Why did they do that? Because people were in danger. Evil was outside the gates. Children were at risk. God's reputation with an entire generation was on the line, and there was just too much at stake. Does that sound familiar at all? Then our story's not over. So the people who were around the outside area were not happy at all that Nehemiah and the people were rebuilding the wall. They were really not happy about it. And so they decided to band together. Now, this wasn't like war in CNN, where you see it from on TV from really far away. The people in Jerusalem could literally see the enemy outside. And then they were like sending notes back and forth and messengers back and forth and threatening and all kinds of stuff. And so Nehemiah did something that was brilliant because the people were losing hope. So smart on his part. He rallied the families. He said, Therefore I stationed some of the families behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, 
posting them by family with the swords and the spears and the bows. And after I looked over things, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, "Uh, don't be afraid of them over there. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families and for your sons and for your daughters and for your wives and for your homes. I kind of get chicken skin whenever I hear that. Fight for your families. It would be like, okay, John and Jennifer, this part's low. You guys bring your family right here, okay? Cooper family, you get it over there because there's a hole right there and there's a big old army out there, so you just stand there, okay? Oh, Spearings, you get the whole tribe. Grandkids too, could you stand over here, okay? And we build this wall together. And guess what happened? When the family stepped in, the enemy did not attack. And they built the wall. And they finished the project in 52 days. 52 days is what it took. You see, Nehemiah in all of this was really not fighting for their physical existence. It was nice to have a wall, and that was important, but that's not what he was fighting for. He was fighting for a generation's concept of God. He was trying to connect a condition of the town with a condition of their faith. We have a generation who is hungry. They are so hungry for a better version of the church that makes people a priority. They need us, family. Our kids and our youth here at KCC, here at our school. You know, we have an awesome Christian school who loves our kids and teaches them about Jesus And do you know that 40% of them don't come from a home of faith? They need us. Pololo Elementary School needs us. Waikiki Elementary School needs us. Our island, they need us. And we can do something about it. God did not show up in just a miracle. He showed up in people. And our people are what made the difference. How we work together will affect how a generation sees. So let's go back to Nehemiah. He heard. He prayed. He did. I'm going to ask you guys to do that too. Mostly because I can do whatever I want when I'm up here. And so I put a card in the bulletin. Please take this home. Please pray about it. And see if God is putting on your heart. Not because you know how to do it. I know we can help you learn. Not because I realize you're not busy, because what? I know you are. But when all is said and done, little angel, precious, all these kids, they matter more. And we need you. So think about it and come be involved with us. Will you guys pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for how you love us how you have given us your word, Father, and so that we know what generations before us did, Father, how they won their kids, how they fought for their families, Father, how they stood up in the face of adversity because they knew you had their backs and that we are your people, Lord. Whether it's Jerusalem, 5th century, or Kaimaki, 2018, you have our backs, Lord. You go before us, you go behind us, Father. You hem us in from all sides and you give us the power to impact this generation for you, Lord. Father, I just ask that you speak in our hearts. 
Give us boldness. Make us brave, Father, so that we can step into these children's lives and come alongside of families and love them like you want us to. Father, I thank you for this amazing church family that I get to be a part of who I know cares so much for you. Give us wisdom, Father. Guide us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.